Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. It's a part of our nature to ask questions. Sometimes these questions are genuine. Other times, we just want to make conversation. Such questions really don't require an answer. This happened many times in the Bible as individuals held conversations with Christ. Some of their questions were not really sincere. Should we pay our taxes? Who is my neighbor? What is marriage like in heaven? The Lord Jesus answered those questions that were honest and pressing, but the most important questions were the ones he asked himself. They always focused on life's greatest issues. Like the day he asked the people, What do you think of Christ? Who do you think I really am? Well, what would you say? Who is he? Are his claims really true? What effect does the answer have on our individual lives? Well, in today's broadcast, speaker Marvin Dirksen looks at the person of Christ and his uniqueness in the history of the entire world, and he encourages each one of us to answer Christ's piercing question for ourselves. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, and verse number 41. And it says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ, whose son? is he. One final verse in Matthew chapter 27, a few pages over. Matthew 27, verse 22, Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. I'd like to speak tonight about the one who made the difference in John chapter 11. He's the one that has made the difference in many of our lives, in many of our hopes. There's none like him. He's absolutely unique. That's what I'd like to speak simply from these two verses because these verses, these truths, involve life's greatest issue and eternity's greatest answer. It's a very simple question. The Lord said, what do you think of Christ? It's interesting that this chapter, chapter 22, is filled with all kinds of questions. Now, it's not wrong to ask questions. In fact, God invites questions. The first part of our Bible tells us of, well, that's the first question that was ever asked, Adam, where are you? And it makes us aware that God has been searching for man for a long, long time. And it's interesting, the very first question of the New Testament is really man seeking for Christ. Where is he? This born king of the Jews. We've seen the star of the east. We've come to worship him. So this book is filled with questions. But yet, when we come to chapter 22 of Matthew, we find there were all kinds of questions, but These questions were different. They were not sincere. They were trial questions. They were temptation questions. And they were those, the Pharisees, they came up and they tried to flatter him. And they said, "Uh, Master, we know that thou teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of man. This is our question, they said. What about taxation? 
Should we actually give tribute to Caesar? Should we actually pay our taxes? Now, if that's a big question, it must have been because they asked it. But tonight, that is not the most important question. And there were some Sadducees that came and said, now, we have a question for you. We want to know about the resurrection and married relationships as to who's going to be married to who in heaven. Big question? Don't think so. And then there was another Pharisee. He was a lawyer, and he said, I've got a question for you. What is the greatest commandment in the law? And the Lord gave the answer. At the end of all of their questions, he turned to them and he said, I'm going to ask you a question. What do you think of Christ? And tonight I'd like to ask this audience this very simple and yet very pointed question. Because this is a question that focuses for you your greatest need. And it focuses for you the ultimate destiny of your soul. What do you think of Christ personally? It's not a matter of what do you know about Christ. I'm speaking to an audience tonight, and there's a lot of you I don't know. But I would surmise, I would conclude that most of you would know a great deal about the Bible. There are individuals here, and you could quote John 3.16 like that. And you would know that the Lord Jesus was born of Bethlehem, right on. You'd know that his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, again, correct. You'd know that he grew up in Nazareth, and you'd be able to outline every fact concerning this person. That was not the question, though. Not a matter of knowing about him. Tonight, the question is, what do you think of him? Or to put it more plainly, what does he mean to you personally? Because tonight's salvation and getting to heaven is not a matter of attending this building, this church. Not a matter of saying a few words or repeating the Lord's Prayer. You might do that. You might carry a Bible. You might have the fear of God that has marked your life. You might be very honorable and very moral. But that is not the issue with regard to the salvation of your soul. It concerns this person that we've been hearing of and that we have read of tonight. What do you think of Christ? And it's interesting that 2,000 years after he was here, he is still the center of attention, isn't he? He is hated by millions. He's loved by millions. He's ridiculed by the vast majority or ignored. And yet there are individuals around this world and we're just a little part of a vast number. And we love to sing of him. We love to talk about him. We revel in his name. We appreciate his work. We're waiting for his coming because he has made the difference for eternity in our lives. So the big question is, what do you think of Christ? I want to notice some very simple truths concerning this wondrous person. Because when it comes to the Lord Jesus, number one, you cannot explain Christ just in human terms. You can't do it. You can't interpret his life through any kind of a philosophical explanation or even science can explain this, this amazing life. Because as someone has said, his biography was penned before he was born. Now, that has never applied to any of us. My wife and I have three sons, and many of us are parents, and some are grandparents here tonight. And as we waited for our, our children to be born, we had aspirations, we had dreams, we had hopes. But I, I can tell you with absolute assurance, there was not a parent here tonight that wrote a book about what their Johnny was going to become. My Johnny is going to become a world-renowned surgeon. And my Susie is... No, there were no books written like that. That would be fiction. That would be fantasy. And yet when we come to this amazing person, the Lord Jesus, his biography was penned before he even came. And amazingly, 700, 800 years before he came, even before that, 
They were men that took up a pen and they began to write. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah, do you understand what you're writing? No, I can't understand the depth of it, but I believe it's true. And again he wrote, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah, do you understand that? No, I don't, but I believe it. And the very same man picked up his pen again, and he wrote, He is despised and rejected of men, man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. Isaiah, his biography was penned before he, he was even born. And when the fullness of the time was come, the scriptures were fulfilled, and a virgin brought forth her firstborn son. Do I understand it? No, I don't. It had never happened before. But into this world stepped the mighty creator. The father of eternity became marked by time. And as Mary laid her firstborn son into that manger, his first bed, there were shepherds that gathered around to behold this amazing sight. There were wise men that traveled miles at a later date, and they came into the house. And grown men bowed the knee before a little child, and they worshipped him. Have you ever seen that? I've never seen, I've seen my parents look into a cot, and there were tears that went down my father's cheeks as he looked at a new grandson. My father did not get down on his knees and worship that grandson. Would never have happened. But there were grown men, and they bowed the knee, and they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense and myrrh. Can you explain that in human terms? We're reminded today of the age of 12, and I, I have to admit, when I looked around and I just saw three 12-year-olds standing up there in the, in the balcony, I thought, they're pretty small. No, I, I'm not being critical. We were all 12 one time. But then I translated that into the terms of Christ at 12. And there were doctors and there were lawyers. There were the intelligent teachers of the day, and they were just shaking their heads. Where does he get this? How can he understand that they were astonished at his answers that he gave and the questions he asked? Can you understand that? Or can you explain that in human terms? Because tonight you cannot explain this person just in terms that we understand. He's the incomparable Christ. We've been hearing of some of the claims he made. And friend, as you look at the word of God, you read the words that he spoke. Words of invitation. Words of truth. He was marked by grace and truth. And with wondrous grace, he could say on occasion, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He spoke words of omniscience. As he met this woman at the well, and she thought he was just a stranger. Why are you talking to me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You're a man. I'm a woman. With words of omniscience, he said, um, You've already had five husbands. And the man you're living with is not your husband. And all of a sudden, this woman realized this man is different. His words made us aware that you can't explain him just in human terms. There were the mighty works that he made. They stood by a grave, and the stone was rolled back. And the Christ of God spoke into that cavity, 
And the man who'd been dead four days responded to the voice and the power of the Son of God. I'd love to have been there when the feeding of the 5,000 took place. The disciples had already told him, Lord, it's getting late and uh, these people are likely hungry and they don't have any bread. Just tell them to go home. No, he says, you give them to eat. And of course, there were some and they, the figuring started going in their mind. And uh, one man said, well, 200 penny worth is not going to buy very much. And uh, one of the disciples said, there is a lad here with a little lunch, five loaves and two little fishes. Now, what are they among so many? And as this amazing person took that little lunch, and he bowed his head, gave thanks for it. And then he said, John, come over here, bring the basket. He just took that loaf and he began to break it. Every single one of those people, it wasn't just a matter of taking a little snippet. I said, well, that was good, but I certainly could have used more. No, they had as much as they wanted. And there were 12 baskets left over. Tell me, how can you explain that in human terms? This is the unique Christ. And that's why what you do with him and what you think of him will determine where you'll be forever. He was the one who said, I have power to lay down my life and I have power to take it again. And if anybody who gets up behind this desk would say those words, you'd have said, I think it's time for you to get down and you'd be absolutely right. Because those are words of nonsense. And yet he says, I have that power. Destroy this temple in the three days, I will build it up again. And he was speaking about his body. And as the world watched, as they nailed him to a cross, and as he breathed his last, and as that last cry came from his lips, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he bowed his head and voluntarily gave up the ghost. He had power to lay down his life. No one took his life from him. He had power to lay it down. But oh, what about the power to take it up again? And as the world watched him die, they said, well, that's the end of this man, this blasphemer. We're here to tell you that that's not the end of the story, because upon that first day of the week, what we call Easter Sunday morning, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. And tonight, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is alive. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Tonight, you cannot explain Christ just in human terms. There's something else about this wondrous person. You cannot equal Christ with anyone else. He's the incomparable Christ. You say, in what way? His sinless perfection. And as we look at this audience of very nice people, I have to tell you that there's not one of us that is not marked by sin. All has sinned and come short of the glory of God. And our greatest problem and our greatest difficulty and our greatest issue in life is our sin as far as God is concerned. And yet there was a man, his name is the Lord Jesus, and he is without equal because he had no sin. He knew no sin. He did no sin. In him is no sin. In fact, the more you look at people, the more sin you're going to find. Sorry, that's the way it is. The more imperfection, the more disappointment, the more you look at Christ, the more beauty and perfection you will discover. He is without equal because he had power over sin. There was no sin in him. And as you look at all the witnesses, you will find that there were those, and even his enemies declared no sin in him. Judas said, I have sinned. I betrayed innocent blood. I made the greatest bargain of my life to my shame and to my destruction i sold the blameless christ for 30 pieces of silver pilate could try to wash his hands and say i find no fault in this just man the thief on the cross said this man has done nothing amiss and the centurion watching and he'd likely watched many a crucifixion as he saw all that was done 
he said, certainly this was the Son of God. This was a righteous man. And by saying that, he gave evidence of the fact that Pilate and the Roman government had made the greatest, most colossal judgment error of all time. We have crucified, we have put to death a man who had never sinned. But not only is there power over sin, his perfection, but we find that there is power over death. I've already referred to the resurrection. And if you put alongside of the Lord Jesus every one of the world rulers, world religious rulers that has ever lived, every single one of them is still in death tonight. You can go and see some of their graves if you want. You can read their books. But every single one of those men or women, they are still in death. But tonight we have an empty tomb. We have a risen Christ. We have an ascended Lord. He has power over death. Not only that, but Freddie is without equal with regard to the passion of his love. His was a love that many, many waters could not quench. We're living in a world in which love has its limits, sad to say, in which partners come to the very tragic moment when they say to their partner, sorry, I don't love you anymore, I'm out of here. And sometimes when love is tested, we discover that there's an end to love. But this wondrous person was marked by love that many, many waters could not quench. God commends his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, while we had our fist in his face, while we were crying out for his blood, while we were saying to the very heart of God, we don't want your son, God commends his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And as Paul came to understand the Lord Jesus, he was able to write, the Son of God loved me, and he gave himself for me. The Lord Jesus tonight is without equal. But I want to remind you tonight that this wondrous person, the Lord Jesus, is the one that you cannot escape. He's the inescapable Christ. Maybe I'm speaking to someone here and you've never really responded to him. Maybe you've had no time for him. No big deal. Maybe someday, but not right now. I just want to say that you really can't exclude him from your life because he'll keep pressing in on you. Because the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And as you listen to the stories of individuals that have gotten saved, they will tell you, he spoke to me there and he spoke to me there. I wasn't aware, but he was pursuing me. And tonight he's pursuing you wherever you are. But you can make a choice to keep him out of your life. But friend, I have to tell you, you won't be able to escape him. Because as we come to the last book of our Bible, John writes these words, and I saw a great white throne. And him who sat upon that throne from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And he says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before him, and the books were opened. Small and great, there'll be presidents, there'll be prime ministers, there'll be monarchs. There'll be the renowned individuals in this world that have made a name but have never received Christ. They'll be there. There'll be those that have hardly been known or made any mark in life. Just regular folk, they'll be there. There'll be those there who have lived very meaningful lives, very moral lives. There'll be those who have gone down into the gutter of sin, small and great, or standing before him. Because, you see, he is the inescapable Christ. You can disregard him. But there's a day coming when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. And so the big question is, what do you think of Christ? What's your appraisal of him? Because I want to tell you tonight that you can enjoy Christ. He has made the difference. He has made the difference. He has given us forgiveness of our sins 
through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. That simply means that you could leave this meeting rejoicing that your sins have been forgiven. Not a process. You don't have to go through weeks and weeks of gospel meetings. You have to respond to this man. Because through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. So would you like to have your sins forgiven? Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are enjoying this wonderful gift of a peace with God. We have eternal life. We have hope beyond the grave. And that, my dear friend, tonight is only the beginning of the vast blessings that are found in this wondrous person. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. That's why the question is, what do you think of Christ? There's young people here. wonder, what does Christ mean to you? There's older ones tonight. Questions the same. It's a question of appraisal. What think ye of Christ? But I close with a question of response. Here's Pilate. And he said, what then shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? You're going to respond one way or the other tonight. What do you think of Christ? It's number one. Number two, what are you going to do with Christ? Because you're going to do something. He's made the difference in life. He'll make the difference in death. He'll make the difference for all eternity. And that's why tonight these questions are for you. What think ye of Christ? What will you do with Jesus, which is called Christ? I trust you'll receive him gladly as your Savior and rejoice. So what are you going to do with Christ? Will you let him make the difference in your life? Or are you going to treat this gospel message as just an interesting story about a religious leader? Just a brief session on the central figure of Christianity? We hope not. We presented this message to you today so that you would make an accurate appraisal of this incomparable person, that his claims to deity were true, and that you would accept him as your own and personal Savior even today. After all, you have no guarantee of tomorrow. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message, and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel, or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. Our Anchor Point messages are also available for listening and download at anchorpointradio.com. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul.